You're listening to the New Hope Church podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Zach Killy. Morning. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. And today we're going to be continuing our newest series. It's called It's Time. And we are walking through the book of Esther. Now you're sitting there going, hey, Zach, I don't know if you ate some bad fish or something last night, but uh, we already did this last week. We did the whole story, the whole thing. Randy told us the whole story. We don't need to do this again. And I agree with you. We did do the whole story last week, um, but we're going to do it again. <laughs> and then next week, we're going we're gonna to do it again. And then again, and maybe even a couple more times. Why? Couple reasons. First reason, one, we want you to know the story of Esther. And you know what the best way to know the story of Esther is? Read it a bunch of times. Talk about it a lot. That's how we remember things. That's repetition. That's how we remember. In fact, the Bible is meditation literature. I don't know if you're familiar with that concept. The idea is you read it, you read it again, you hear it again, you read it again, you memorize it. You, you have this stuck in your head. You, you, you chew on it day and night and you, you kind of start to pull things out of the story over time right? So that's the first thing. We want you to know the story. The second thing is this. There's a lot in this book. There's a lot of themes to be explored in this relatively short book of the Bible. And so we want to kind of pick out individual themes and explore those. Whereas Randy kind of gave us an overview last week, we want to dive in and and get a little more single-minded with what we're looking at for the next couple weeks, okay? So today, the question is, what are we, do- what are we looking at? What- what's the theme? Anger. Isn't that fun? We're going to look at anger in the story of Esther. Because here's the thing that's so weird about the story of Esther. I would argue that anger is the driving force in this story. Anger is the thing that keeps pushing it forward. And so I want to go through and I want to think about the book of Esther and how anger plays a role in it. And to get you started, let's give you some reminders about where we're at in the story, why we're here. The Jews are in Babylonian exile. They're living in Babylon. They're living under a particular king, right? Now, depending on what version you're reading, you may see some different names come up. The one you're going to see a lot is Ahasuerus. Big word, fun word. Here's the deal. Historians don't really know who that is. They go, we're not sure who you're referring to, but based on where the story of Esther sits and where they are at the time, they've got it narrowed down to three guys it may be. Randy said one of them last week, Artaxerxes. May very well be Artaxerxes. The king may also be Xerxes I. The king may also be Xerxes II. We don't know. And for the sake of today, our reading is just going to say Xerxes. Easy peasy. So what's going on? Xerxes is having a big party. It is this days-long party of just drunken revelry craziness. It's Babylon. You know, Babylon's never exactly known to be a tame place, right? And so they're partying their faces off. And that leads us to where we're at, at our first passage here. 
We're going to come to Esther 1, 10 through 12. It says, On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, that means drunk, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, Mahuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zechariah, and Carcass, to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. Okay, quick note here. Some translations say he became angry, he burned with anger. Says anger twice. Why? Because the first time is he got angry. The second time is it consumed him. The Hebrew word for burned works also as consumed. He was filled with it. It controlled him. He was burning with anger. Why though? Let's think about it. We got king of the craziest nation on earth and he's got all his buddies there. He's got all these high profile folks. He's got his friends and he wants to look cool for the boys. And so he's thinking, hey, my wife is super hot. I'm going to have her come out here but I think I want her wearing only a crown. E. She doesn't like that idea. She doesn't like the idea of getting paraded around as like this object, right? She doesn't want to be demeaned. She doesn't want to be looked at. She doesn't want to feel gross, right? And so she does the logical thing and she says, no. And he becomes furious. So what happens? He divorces her. He divorces her and he banishes her from the kingdom. That's crazy. And that leads to what I like to call uh, Babylon's next top model. This is what he holds now. He is going to bring in all the finest virgins of the area and they're going to come in and they are going to basically show him why they should be his new queen, right? Well, that is where our new character, our main character the, the title character of Esther comes in. Her name is Esther. She's orphaned, right? Her parents are both dead. And so she's been raised by her uncle Mordecai. He's taking care of her, right? And he's a really good guy. And she seems like a really nice girl. And she comes into this Babylon's Next Top Model pageant and she catches his eye immediately. He's enamored by her. She's beautiful, but she also seems to be kind. She also seems to be like nice enough that he is moved by her. It's not just this physical thing. It seems to be more than that. And so he makes her the queen, right? Well, uh, it seems that her uh, relative Mordecai holds some kind of position within, uh, at least within the kingdom work, right? And so that leads us to our next spot, our next spot of anger. Let's jump over. It says, during the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the book of the Annals in the presence of the king. So 
Let's think about this now. So first we got, uh, you know, King Xerxes, he's, he's upset because he doesn't look cool in front of his friends because his wife doesn't come out. So he goes and he, he divorces her and he banishes her from the kingdom. That's a problem. What next? What do we see now? Well, we got a couple of guards for the king. And I'm assuming this is a political issue. I'm assuming they're looking at this and saying, ah, our guy would do better or I'd do better or he'd do better. We've got to kill him. If we kill him, we'll take over, or our guy will take over, and then things will be great, right? It's a political movement, and it drives them to hatred for the king. It drives them to be so angry that they're willing to take his life. Even though he really hasn't done anything to spite them, they're going to kill him. Well, Mordecai hears about this, and Mordecai is a good man. Mordecai, even though it really doesn't concern him, doesn't want the king to die. So he goes, he tells Esther. Esther goes, tells the king or the officials, right? And they take care of the situation. Mordecai kind of saves the day. But the anger for these two men that were guarding the door, it ended with them losing their lives. Their anger drove them to death. This isn't good. Anger's bad, right? Here's the funny thing too, right? It ends with them dying, but it ends even worse than that. You see, had these two eunuchs not done this, had they not gotten angry about this in the first place, we would never have to introduce the big bad guy of the story, Haman. Because Haman gets brought in as an official to fill the role that now is needed, right? He's now the new guy. He's brought in. He's this big, awesome dude. The king brings him. He gets all this prestige, but he is our new bad guy. Let's read what it says about Haman. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated for he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Okay. So now, Haman enters the picture. Haman is a Babylonian. It it doesn't take us long to understand kind of what's going on here because we can look back on other stories about Babylon. We can look at like the story of Daniel, right? Daniel and all his buddies are asked to bow down and worship a golden idol, and yet they won't do it. This seems like kind of the MO in Babylon. Seems like if you hold any kind of title in Babylon, you are entitled for people to bow in your presence. To I mean, I don't know if I'd go as far to say worship Haman, but to show him reverence that Mordecai does not feel he's due. And so Mordecai, or sorry, uh, with Haman being this new official, he expects that Mordecai would bow down in his presence, but he doesn't. So he's wondering why, and he figures out the reason why Mordecai won't bow in his presence is because Mordecai is a Jew. 
and that the Jews bow to the one true God only. And so this quickly escalates. Because now Haman's got this God complex. He thinks he's hot stuff. He thinks that these guys should all be showing him the respect that he is due. But now he realizes that not only is there a man, but an entire race of people that are never going to show him the honor that he's due. Because he's not the most high God. And so out of his rage, out of his fury, he decides not only to plot a murder, but a genocide. He is going to wipe the Jews from the face of the earth. That's his goal. And that's terrible. And that kind of leads us into the big part of the story, the, the big climax of the story, right? Mordecai learns about this and he goes into mourning and he's wearing sackcloth and like nobody can console him. And finally he tells Esther, and this is kind of what our whole title series is here, and maybe it's time. Maybe God put you right where you're at right now because you've got to be the one that saves us. You've got to go in, you've got to tell the king what's going on. Up until this point, the king doesn't even know she's a Jew because that probably wouldn't have flown, right? Wouldn't have been great. You've got to go in. You've got to tell him who you are. You've got to tell him who your people are. You've got to tell him what's happening. You can save us. And against her own livelihood, because here's the deal. If she walks into that king's court uninvited, it's a death sentence. She goes. She goes before the king. She walks in. Any man would have been slain on the spot for walking into the king uninvited. And she walks in and the king says, what can I do for you? Because he loves her. And she says, I want to have a banquet. And so they put on this banquet. She says, I, I want only you, the king, and I want Haman and me. That's it. That's the only people invited. And so they have the first banquet. And in the middle of the ba that banquet, she says, hey, let's do this again tomorrow. And they do it again the next day. And that brings us to this part of the story. So the king and Haman went to Queen, Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king asked again, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. The queen, Esther, answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he, the man who's dared to do such a thing? And Esther said, an adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified, as he should be. Before the king and queen, the queen got up in a rage, or sorry, the king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things is a little different. This time is a little different. We got another anger account. This one's different. Why? Let's go back to the beginning. The very beginning of this story, we've got this big drunken revelry crazy thing, right? Big party. Wild time. Haman wants to look cool for his friends. 
So he's going to parade his wife around as if she is an object or a trophy. And he's going to humiliate her in the process. She doesn't want to do it. She wants nothing to do with it. She won't. And so he divorces her and banishes her from the kingdom. All because she hurt his pride. All because he's drunk and makes a stupid mistake. Hmm. You see two men that are guarding the, the, the palace of the king, but they're going to kill him because they've got a political idea that's going to be better than what's going on with the king. You know, they've got some other reason why he shouldn't be in power. And even though he's done nothing to them, they're going to murder him. And what happens? They're murdered. Somebody had to die because of their mistake. Not only that, because of their mistake, now enters Haman, the big bad guy, who, because his pride doesn't get the, the due diligence he feels he's deserving of, right? He's going to go and he's going to kill one of the main good guys in the story, the guy who saved the life of the king, and he's going to kill his entire race of people because he didn't have his ego stroked in the way he wanted it. Up until this point, every time we see that somebody is angry, it's self-serving. Up until this point, every time somebody is mad enough that they're going to kill somebody or they're going to divorce somebody or they're going to banish somebody, up until this point, every single time, it's a me thing. It's a pride thing. It's a power thing. It's all about me, 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 me. And then we get to this part. And it's totally different. This is not a me thing for King Xerxes at all. King Xerxes is standing in this court and it's just being forced on him all of a sudden. He had no idea any of this was going on. And all of a sudden he realizes that the woman that he loves, the woman that he is willing to give half his kingdom to, and the man that saved his life earlier in the story, more, uh, Xerxes is actually losing sleep at night because he's so moved by the fact that Mordecai saved him. He wants to honor Mordecai. And now this guy, he finds out Mordecai and his wife are going to be murdered. And not only them, but their entire race of people are going to be murdered. And he is just overwhelmed. And he says, who is it? And he finds out it's his like top advisor. And what's he do? He leaves the wine behind. <laughs> That's been like in his hand this whole story, man. He leaves it at the table and he walks out to the garden and he's pacing around because he's just got to get his head straight. He's just got to get his head clear. He's got to think about the right way to deal with this. All of a sudden, it's not about Xerxes anymore. It's about the people he loves. And it's different. And so he walks back in the room, and when he walks in the room, Haman has, has got Esther cornered on the, on the couch that she's leaning on, and he's got her grabbed around the waist, begging for mercy. And Xerxes thinks that he's trying to assault her. And so he has Mordecai drug away, and Mordecai is killed in the exact way he had set up. Sorry, Haman. Thank you, Jackie. Haman is killed in the exact way he had set up. For Mordecai, there he is, to be killed. Do you see? Anger is a funny thing. Anger gets a bad rep. It's not nice, right? We like nice. Nice is easy. Nice is pleasant, right? Anger, not so much. Anger gets ugly. Anger gets weird. 
When people start shouting and stuff or, or really like getting riddled because they're mad, right? Like they're, they're really shaking or something like that, that freaks us out a little bit. We don't like it. And so we kind of just put this big label that we slap on anger across the board and we're like, bad. Anger's bad. I think this story tells a different one. I think the Bible in general tells us a very different story about anger. I think we realize that anger is really nothing but fuel. It's fuel in your tank. It's, it's a fire that gets lit under you that, that moves you to do something else. And that something else is what matters. And that fire, that, that thing that caused the anger, that matters, right? So, so it's really not about the anger at all. The anger is just a tool. The anger just makes us aggressive enough that we're going to make something happen. The real concern here is what's happening in your heart. When we look at all these people in this story, it's selfishness, it's pride, it's self-serving, it's all about me. I mean, that's Xerxes' story up until the end when he finally flips it and he makes it about somebody else that he's angry for someone else. He's not angry for himself. At that point, it's protective, it's good, it brings justice, it saves lives. Whereas up until that point, all the anger, all the aggression was killing people. Anger is important. It's what you do with it that matters. I think about my own life. This last month of my life has been stupid, okay? I have been in such a funk and I've been such a baby about it because I've got coworkers and friends and people in my life that it just seems like I just, I've been bumping into people in a not so great way. I've been getting bickered at by people or people are telling me I'm not doing things right or people are maybe doing something wrong and then I confront them on it and then they're mad at me and then it, like I've got all this stuff going on. And, and it's not that that stuff is bad, it's the way I've handled it is bad. And let me tell you, for a month, I've walked around miserable because I've been bitter and I have been annoying and I've probably not been so fun to deal with. So thank you for all of you that have shown me grace. And that's no way to live. And that's how the people in the story lived. And where does it end? It ends in death. And so I want to take an opportunity to stand here and say, I've just decided I, did, I, I didn't even want to do this. I didn't want to do this sermon because I knew I'd have to deal with it. Isn't that annoying? I didn't want to do, I knew I'd read this story and then I'd go think about this and I'd be like, okay, that's what I've got to do. And I, I knew that and I didn't want to do it. But I want to stand here in front of you and I want to say, I've just decided I'm not going to be that way now. And maybe I'll get there again someday and then I'll have to address it then again too, right? But I'm not going to be that way now. I don't want to be, I don't want to be bitter and mad at the world. All woe is me because things don't go my way. And I think if we all get real with ourselves, we find ourselves in that situation often. And we have to make a, a very conscious decision that I'm not going to be that person. I'm not going to be that way because I just don't want to. And it just, it just brings death on me and everybody else. And I don't want that. No, I think what we need to do is we need to look and say, well, if that's what anger isn't supposed to look like, what should anger look like? I think we look at Jesus. Jesus got angry. Jesus got mad enough that Jesus, when he sees the teachers of the religious law in, in Israel talking about 
God, talking about the law, talking about how other people should live, he notices it's all twisted up. It's not really biblical. It's not really in line with the heart of God. They've twisted it and they've made it into their own image. They're doing with it what they want to. And Jesus comes about and he says, you say that you're children of Abraham. You say you're sons of Moses. You say that you're sons of the most high God. You're sons of the devil. You're dead. You're dead on the inside. On the outside, you look clean. You look good because everything's perfect. Everything's just how it needs to look so you get a pass in public. So everybody thinks you're so holy. But on the inside, you're dead. You are full of dead men's bones. You're whitewashed tombs. You can't say that happy. You can't say that without getting a little angry. Jesus walks into the temple and he sees that his father's house, the the house of the one true God, the one worship place on earth, right? Dedicated to God. It's full of all these people trying to make a quick buck and they're hurting other people to do it. They're raising prices. They've turned it into a marketplace. They've turned God's system of sacrifice into a way of making money. And Jesus walks in and he starts flipping tables and cracking a bullwhip. To drive them out of the courts. You think he's like, ha ha, he's like like whipping the, no, like he's mad. He's mad, dude. It's okay to be mad when the motive is right. And I think what it boils down to is this. I think if if the goal, right, we we pulled up uh, that Thessalonians verse and it said, be joyful always, be thankful always, right? I think about that. I think about the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others, right? If those things have to always be constant, if that's how we're always supposed to be living and anger is okay to have, then that means they can coexist. And that means that when I'm angry, it needs to be at injustice for God and my neighbor. If something's gonna fire me up, it can't be about me. It needs to be about somebody not taking God seriously enough, somebody hating God, somebody doing God wrong, the world turning its back on God. That should hurt me. That should make me angry. It should make me angry when I see injustice for my brothers and sisters in this world. That should hurt me. That should make me angry. You know what you should get really angry about right now? You should get really angry that there is a very real enemy in this world, and his name isn't Haman. He goes by many names. We call him Satan. That just means the adversary. That just means the enemy. And he duped all of us into death a long time ago and turning our backs on God. And right now in the world, seven out of every 10 people don't know Jesus. The only person who can save us. The only person that can bring life back to us. The only person that can save us from eternity in hell. And that means that seven out of every 10 people, I'm talking your family, I'm talking your friends, I'm talking your neighbors, I'm talking your coworkers, seven out of every 10 are going to hell if they die right now. And you should get angry about that. You should get angry That somebody hates you and hates your friends and hates your family enough that they want them dead. That hates your God enough that he wanted to spite him. And the only way he can spite God is by killing his kids. That should make you angry. Angry enough to do something about it. Angry enough to get out and tell people about their only chance at salvation and his name is Jesus Christ. That is something every single one of us is called to. It isn't about evangelism. It's just who who we are. It's just what we're called to. 
That's what we should be thinking about. And you should be thinking maybe all those times I've been mad and I haven't been justified in it, I need to go make that right with the people around me because I've probably hurt some people. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I just ask that right now you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit. I ask that you would open our eyes to what it is you're trying to show us today, Lord. And I pray that each one of us standing in this room, sitting in this room, wherever we are, that we think about our own life and we think about where we have fallen short, where we have maybe hurt people, where we've been angry and it was not justified, it was just selfish pride. I pray you would, you would show us that. I pray that you would show us where we do need to be fired up, where we do need to care, the things in the world that should be making us angry, that there's people out there that don't know you and that we need to go and we need to, to, to help save them. We need to, to bring your message to them, Lord. I pray that you would convict us and show us what it is we have to do. What do we do with that? We've got the knowledge, great. We got head knowledge, great. I hope we have heart knowledge. I hope that we know how to move forward with this, that, that we have a game plan. We have something actionable that we can actually go do. I'm going to go ask for forgiveness or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go apologize to the people that I've hurt or I am going to go and I am going to go talk to so-and-so that I know doesn't know Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would show us someone near us that we love, that loves you, that will hold us accountable in this task, that will ask us questions about it, that won't be afraid to talk to us about this, but that, that will actually make sure we see this done. Because we can't put this stuff off, Jesus. This is who you've called us to be. I pray through your Holy Spirit, you would prompt us to move. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for stories like Esther, people like Esther and Mordecai and even Xerxes who had a change of heart and, and came around to doing the right thing. Please just shift our focus, Lord. Let us be more like your son. Do it through your Holy Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.